Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Going down to Clear Lake. Bill, how are you today? Yeah, very good. How are you today? Really appreciate the show. Thank you, sir. How can I help you? I've got a, an old home, well, not that old, but it's up in there for 30 years now in Clear Lake, and got an old wood deck that's all rotten up, and, and it's time to get rid of that, and I want to put in some travertine instead, and the deck has just been installed on a, uh, on the uh, ground on bare dirt, so once we remove the old deck, I'm trying to find figure out what kind of good sub-base to put down before I put on the travertine. Uh, my wife's a little handicapped. Sometimes we use a wheelchair, so I want to make sure and have the travertine come all the way up to the back door, uh, which is uh, the existing wood decks about six or seven inches off grade. Okay. Well, I, I, I will tell you. So you got, if it's six or seven inches off grade, that means you got a step going into the house. Is that what you're saying? Well, right now it's just the deck. So okay. You, you drive in the driveway. You step up one step to get onto the deck, and then the deck is about uh, 300 square foot uh, all around the backyard, around uh, two back doors, a garage door, and uh, so there's uh, there's no step from the deck to get into the house. Okay, gotcha. The ideal situation would be to just pour concrete and put the travertine over the concrete. That gives it the best base and, and makes everything solid, and you can control your elevations real well that way. And by pouring concrete, uh, you could probably do away with that step up onto the deck by pouring a ramp up onto the deck and or up on to the yeah yeah thing I, that way. Just thinking that uh, doesn't seem to, uh, seems to be a lot of concrete uh, to do that. I was wondering well, if you, we could concrete. You only make four inches. Yeah, concrete. You only make four inches thick. So you would fill in everything beyond that and compact soil under it rather sure. than trying to fill it with four you know with six or eight or ten inches of concrete okay, it's just four so inches of concrete and then the rest is just filled in so come in with some extra soil compact yep. that yep. i want to make sure there's a good slope too because the existing door the existing deck it just meets uh the bottom of the brick layer where you got the weep holes for the ventilation yeah so if I put in that travertine, I want to make sure it's sloping away from the house yep. so we don't get any water coming in. Okay. Yep. That That's how I would do it. Okay. Okay. Look, thanks so much. You do appreciate the advice. You bet, Bill. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. A lot of people don't realize, but concrete's only four inches thick typically. you got the perimeter beams, like on a house foundation, for instance. The perimeter outside beam is typically going to be 12 inches thick. And it's going to go down 18, 24, 32 inches, however many inches it's going to go. But after you go inside, under, away from the uh, exterior walls, you know, like I said, that beam's only 12 inches thick. The foundation is 4 inches thick. Now, yes, it's going to have cross beams that are deeper as well. But in general, concrete is poured at only 4 inches thick. And so you can cons- compact soil under it, or you could use uh, crushed limestone under it to- that is compacted. Anything to fill that void and just make the concrete four inches thick. And that's on other structures as well. You know, if you ever travel to 
you know, he, other parts of the state. Like, uh, well, Austin is on with us right now. It's hilly there. And so you'll have some slabs that are poured where you're at ground level in the front and in the back, you may have a, a five-foot stem wall for the perimeter of the foundation. Well, even there, it's 12 inches thick and then it's filled with compacted soil. A lot of times they'll use sandbags uh, or whatever to fill up that void and get it to four inches of concrete on the part that you're typically walking on. So don't ever think that the, that concrete's gonna be, you know, four feet thick or anything like that. It's just a beam that's that thick. Everything else is thin. Manny, welcome. How can I help you? Hey, Jim, the long-time listener, uh, first-time caller. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, we have the uh, garage uh, door from the garage going to the side of the house. Uh, the door frame is uh, rotted on the bottom. I guess it was uh, maybe the sprinkler hitting it or the rainwater, so we don't have the sprinklers on that side of the house. So it is uh, the bottom of the frame on both ends is uh, kind of rotten out. Uh, it's still stable, but I could see uh, it's turning black and then I can see some water leaking into the uh, garage. So I'm trying to see uh, what is the best way to uh, fix it. And, it's a wooden the, door. Okay, and did you say it's the door itself that's doing it or, or the framework around the door? Well, the door the door itself is fine. It's the framework okay. around. Uh, so the bottom probably I would say one-fourth of the uh, frame yep. is starting to uh, rotten out. Okay, so you've got a choice here. Uh, one is you can take that whole board off and replace it. And when you do replace it, go back with treated. It'll last much longer. Or, and this yeah, happens this a lot. Yeah, this is the one the builder, builder puts in. I'm not sure what he yeah. puts in. Yep. Is, yeah, this house is only like five years, six years old. Yeah, and, and I don't know why they don't use treated lumber because they know the water splashing on the concrete is going to cause this issue. And usually they, they even right. bevel it at the bottom, which makes it even to me, makes it even worse because it gives it more surface area that, that is not the face of it, you know? So right, right, right. what a lot of times people do, though, is they just cut the bottom foot or two off and splice okay. another piece on there. Now, if okay. you do it very carefully and measure everything out to a T, uh, you can actually cover that joint up and, and really not see it at all. But it, it does take okay, somebody yeah. who's, who's good. Right, right. Yeah, this is the door we almost never use, uh, and I, we converted that into office on the, uh, it's, it's like extension of the uh, garage towards inside, so yeah. uh, we almost never use that door, so it pretty much stays shut all the time, so uh, it just, it just, it just, I just want, don't want to get it worse uh, with the continued to rain and, uh, you know, mold or anything uh, building up on it, so um, if I had to replace the whole uh, door, I guess I'd replace the frame and the door together, or I can replace one or the other, or does that work? No, you, yeah, you can replace just the frame and not the door. Okay. It's a standard uh, standard uh, fix uh, for yep. the door frame with the door will fit into it. And as long as you keep it, you know, if you go back with regular wood, just keep it painted well, and that, that usually keeps it protected as well. Aaron, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. This is Aaron Chapa. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we just bought a 4,000 square foot or so building. I think it's like 4,300 square feet. And it's a cinder block building. And one of the big concerns I have 
is insulation in the Texas heat. Um, I want to make it as energy efficient as possible. We have insulation in that uh, our builder wants to use, but wants to, we, I want to add to it and wanted to get your advice on what type of insulation do I need it in the ceilings? Uh, how do we get it into those, you know, walls with respect to the cinder blocks, um, if that's even a possibility, you know, so that I can uh, create a level of a low E um, against Texas heat as yeah. possible. So what are you going to do with the building? It's an alternative medicine doctor's office uh, in League City. So we give people alternatives to drugs and surgery, so we need – you know, a comfortable, healthy living space right. uh, for patients. Okay. So you, you mentioned the low E. That would be a radiant barrier versus insulation, which has an R rating. And if you were going to try to insulate those walls, you would actually have to build a frame stu- a, a frame system inside the brick. Uh, you know, inside the the living portion of it, so you're going to lose about four inches of wall space all the way around the building in order to frame walls up and put insulation in there. If you use a radiant barrier, you can put that right up against the brick if you use the right type of radiant barrier. And that'll stop the heat transfer, keep the, the building comfortable and energy efficient, and you won't be losing as much space. What are you going to put on the walls? Anything? Uh, Sheetrock. Okay, so you're going to be furring out somewhat for that anyways. Usually what they're going to do is is lay some 1x4s on their side on the walls and then screw the sheetrock to that. So... Uh, that gives you the choice. So you might and, have room for the radiant barrier. Exactly. Yeah, you you can put the radiant barrier on first, and then the sheet the the fur down and the sheetrock over that. Uh, there's a radiant barrier, Energy Q, radiant barrier, and that's the one I would recommend you take a look at. You can go to their website at energy the letter Q dot com. And it's it's a very it just comes in a four foot wide roll, easy to use but extremely efficient. It's pretty good, um, and that can be done on the ceilings things? as well. Yeah, I was gonna say so that would be on the ceiling as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Aaron, how can I help you? A um, nineteen hundred square foot brick home uh, with the ridge vents, and but my egg is. Is, is so hot that when you turn the cold water on, it comes out hot. Yep. And the same thing goes for it during the wintertime, too. Is there anything else I can put on my roof to get the heat out? Well, what do you have for ventilation for it? The ridge vent, and then, of course, uh, the, uh, the, the, the vents on the eaves. Okay. Rule of thumb is for every 150 square foot of attic space you have, you got to have uh-huh. one square foot of ventilation. The biggest problem is most of the time people don't have enough ventilation. You know, the, okay. the soffit vents, they're usually little boxes that are 20 feet apart. And realistically, uh-huh. they need to be more like four feet apart. Okay. And by adding more vent, you move more air. But remember, it's always going to be hotter in the attic than it is outside. So if our outside temperature, like right now, is running 100, 105 degrees and the sun is beating on that roof, mm-hmm. your attic's probably going to be around 130 degrees. Okay. 
What about roots or uh, vents or something that you can install? Uh, yeah, that's what vent. I'm saying. You got it. Got it. Put in more vents. A ridge vent is is one of the best ways to do it because it lets all the air out. Uh, uh, the, my next favorite is solar powered fans. And with that, okay. I got to let you go because we are out all of right. time. This one caught my attention because this is one that uh, we, we kind of get fairly often. So it comes from Sandy, and she says, musty odor in the bathroom. What expert should I call to help locate a musty odor in the bathroom? It's not dirty, wet towels. I've had the AC drip pan checked, poured vinegar and baking soda down the drains, checked for leaks under the sink, checked the toilet tank. I did have to have the wax seal replaced about a year ago, and the toilet wobbles a little now. But the odor didn't start until about two months ago and doesn't smell sewerish. Thanks for any help you can give. Well, even based on the things that you just mentioned here, it actually can be two of the things that you mentioned. Even though you've dumped vinegar and baking soda down the drains, that doesn't mean they're cleaned out. Uh, the sink drains are really bad about getting a black gunk that builds up in those that needs to be cleaned out. Now, typically, what I use is just hot water. And I mean hot, hot water. And I spray scrubbing bubbles down there, use a toothbrush to scrub the sides and everything, and then flush it with hot water. And that cleans it out real good. Because when it gets so gunked up that you start getting that odor and stuff, just putting the baking soda and uh, vinegar down doesn't necessarily clean it out. Yes, it, it hits the surface of it, but it doesn't clean it out like a toothbrush and like I said, I use scrubbing bubbles, but there's other things you can use. Now, the other one that could actually still be causing this is that wax ring you replaced. If the toilet is wobbling, it is leaking, guaranteed, because the wax ring does not do its job when it's wobbling. You got to remember, when a wax ring is installed, you tighten down the bolts, it crushes the wax ring, that's the seal. If it wobbles a little bit, the wax ring got crushed somewhere, and then it, you tip the toilet back up, it's now got a gap. Moisture can get out when the toilet's flushed. Doesn't mean it's sewer water, but it can go under tile, it can go under linoleum, it can even just get trapped under the toilet itself, and you can get that musty smell from that water, especially if it starts running up under the tile and stuff. And the fact that you had it replaced a year ago and... Yeah, it's been wobbly, but you've only started smelling the odor for the last two months. That can be a buildup of the moisture that's been getting underneath for a long period of time. So those two items still need to be checked. Beyond that, uh, there's a couple other things it can be. A toilet has a waste and overflow. That's, you know, where the water, when you fill a toilet, or toilet, a bathtub has a waste and overflow. When you fill it up too high, uh, it goes into the overflow. Those are notorious for coming loose. Underneath a bathtub is a one foot by one foot square cutout in the concrete. It's just dirt. And if the overflow starts leaking, the water goes into that dirt and you can start getting an odor, much like what you described here. So actually, I think it's going to be one of those three things. The toilet needs to be fixed regardless, so I would definitely do that. I would see if you have an access panel 
to the back of the bathtub where that waste and overflow can be checked. And then, of course, it's easy to check and see if you still got buildup in the sink traps. So, Sandy, I hope that helps you out. Let's head straight to Dallas. Faye, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you. I have a problem with, I was watering a flower bed uh, near the foundation of my house. It's a townhouse, and uh, a six-inch hole appeared. The soil was soft. I could push it with my foot, and I kept putting water in this hole. It kept getting larger, and there was no end to it. I, I left the water running forever and it never filled this hole up and i'm wondering what in the world could be under the house that would uh, cause this uh how, how old a structure is it oh uh, uh, it was built in 1974 okay there, there's a few things that can actually cause this uh one if there was an old tree that was taken down when the house is built and the roots deteriorate and the trunk you know, deteriorates, it can leave a void that starts getting filled that way. It can also be if there is a broken sewer pipe under the home, the water will just keep flowing into it and start taking soil away. So there's many things that can cause it. Okay, uh, I did have a broken line. They they leveled the house on the other end, uh-huh. and they didn't. I overheard a conversation. They should have checked the lines under the house. This is a, a concrete foundation. Right. Um, and they didn't. So I told the handyman here that we needed to check to see if there was a, a broken line, and there was. They found one okay. and had to dig under the house to fix it. And uh, it, I didn't have the problem then. But when it first developed early in the spring, the handyman brought in two bags, three bags actually, of sand and put in this hole. And uh, he thought it was fixed, but but that's all gone. Yeah. And the hole has appeared again. But Did they dig he, tunnel under the home? Yes. Anywhere in the area where you're having this issue? Yes. Yeah, so it, it's more than likely washing into where the tunnel was dug. Well, they were going to haul off part of the dirt they dug out, and uh-huh. I stood there and made them put, the engineer told me to make sure they put it all back. Now, I don't know how well they packed it. Well, I, I can guarantee you with 100% certainty they did not put it all back. Because there's absolutely no way to pack it back in as tight as it originally was, right? And and to fit, and that's the only way you could put it all back in. And as that soil does get wet, it's going to consolidate some and settle, and that's more than likely what you're seeing. So well, I did not see. Uh, as I said, I stood out there, and they did. The pile of dirt disappeared under the house. Sure. So, um, and I, I, they did not haul anything off. They were going to, but mm-hmm. I, so what, what is the solution? I didn't want to tell the handyman because he'll just put more dirt in there. Yeah. But I wanted to, to fix the, the problem. Well, it, 
where they dug the tunnels and stuff, is it underpinned in that area? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You really don't have anything to worry about. You may wash some more sand and dirt in there if you want, uh, but it's not something to lose any sleep over at all because the foundation is supported by the by these piers now, not by the soil. Uh huh. And so it's not going to really cause you any issues if it's left alone. Will okay, that hole grow a little have... bit? Absolutely, uh, and that will have to be filled. But and it's probably going to continue to happen for a while. Okay, because I have cracks in the wall, and I've got uh, doors that don't close properly over there, and that, and window shutters that don't uh, close properly. Sounds like properly. the piers aren't holding, the, and so that probably needs to be checked then. Okay, okay. All right. Well, I will have uh, them get the engineers back over here then. Okay. Okay, thanks so much. You bet, Faye. You take okay. care. Bye. And, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this up front because all companies love to hear they're doing a great job, and we try very hard to do a good job. Do we mess up every once in a while? Absolutely. The difference between a great company and a mediocre company is how they handle when something happens. And we do go out and do the extra mile to make sure something is taken care of. Now, people don't always have the patience to want to do that. They think if one little slip-up happens, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, get out, we don't want to deal with this. That's not the way to look at it. Let the contractors take care of it. If they're willing to work on it, and I don't care if it's Due West or somebody else, if they're trying to stand behind it, let them do their job. Now, when they start saying they're not going to do something, hey, then you got to deal with it another way. You know, I don't care what type of industry you're in, you can make mistakes and have issues. I want you to think about your own job. Have you ever made a mistake? If you say no, you're lying. Everybody does. I had my front porch stairs replaced and handrails added. The porch is painted, so I plan on having the stairs painted to match. The carpenter used pressure-treated wood, and it was very damp when it was installed. I learned online that I should wait 60 days for it to dry and should use a primer before painting. I had already bought the Sherwin-Williams porch paint before I read the online instructions. I asked the clerk at the store if I needed to use a primer with this paint. He checked his sources and said... I just needed to use two coats. So his questions are, do I need to wait 60 days? You may have to wait longer than 60 days. What you have to do is wait until the wood is dry. Now, as dry as it is out right now, with all the heat we're having, 60 days is probably going to be plenty. But if we got into a, a wet season, 60 days may not be enough. You just have to wait until the wood is thoroughly dry. Question two was, do I need to use primer on pressure-treated wood? I would. Now, some paints say, oh, just give it two coats, and that's fine. There's two reasons to use a primer. One, it is designed to give you a solid base underlayment. But two, primer is typically less expensive than your primary paint that you're going to use. So you put the primer on, you let the wood soak it up, seal with the primer then when you start putting your finish coats on they have a better sheen to them a better look to them a better finish because the wood didn't just soak up all the moisture out of that 
finished coat paint that you're putting on. So that's how I would take care of it. Hello, Sandy. Hey, thank you for taking my call. My um, pleasure. I'm calling. We live in the city in Hearst, but we're uh, in the process of buying a couple of acres out um, in East Texas. And uh, we we live in this house all the time, but we'd be spending maybe a month or two out at the lake on this property. And would it be um, a smart idea uh, to get like a barn house, build like a barn house um, versus uh, just traditional home out there? I mean, no, barn houses are less expensive, correct? Uh, to a degree. But no, you can build it however way you want. You know, if, if you if you want to build a what they call the barnumendium, um, barnumendium, yes, yeah. The, you know, basically all you you doing is building a metal building, and part of it is going to be used as shop. Part of it's going to be used as living quarters. When you built the living okay. quarters in, it's still being built with two by fours insulation, the whole nine yards, uh, just like a house would be. But instead of putting siding on it. Right. It's inside the shell of the metal building. Mm, doesn't sound very pretty, though, does it? <laughs> all, <laughs> all depends on how you fix them up, but uh, truthfully, right. no. For, as a standard house, it's usually not. <laughs> okay. And eco, eco-friendly, does it have any more advantages over um, just a regular traditional home or less? The, the biggest advantage you have over a traditional home is uh, because of the way the walls are, you're not limited to that three and a half inches, the size of the stud, for insulation. So you can uh-huh. raise the insulation level on the on the walls and things like that. But other than that, no. Okay. Hey, well, I thank you so much for call, your call, taking my call, and we love your show. Thank you very much. Good luck with that. You know what? I had an email come in yesterday from Kirk in Arlington and you know a lot of times people wonder what they're seeing when construction is going on so this one the subject was metal straps a new home is being built next to me there are dozens of metal straps about five inches long nailed to the outer sheathing at approximately one foot intervals on every exterior wall what are those straps for well those are the brick ties. You hear me talk about brick ties every now and then. What happens is as they're laying the brick or if you're getting rock laid or whatever uh, kind of hard surface that way that has mortar in it, those little metal straps that you see go into the mortar between the bricks. And it's to stiffen everything up. Uh, when you walk up to a wall that's brick and you can push on it and the wall's wobbly, that's because it doesn't have brick ties or what we're calling brick straps or brick ties is what they're actually called. Uh, And so the brick is just stacked and there's nothing to keep it from wobbling because the brick on a, on a home is just a veneer. It is not structural. Uh, The two by four stud walls is what the structure of the home is. And this just ties it all together to make it nice and stiff. And so it stands there and doesn't tip over. Great email. I thought, Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Is this Jim? Okay, how can I help you? Yeah, hey, I was just uh, curious. I have a uh, connected garage under the house. It's a two-car garage, but um, 
the past couple of years coming up to the floor in the garage, it's not insulated or it's not a air conditioned or anything, but the floor I see this uh white powdery stuff coming up and it's kind of moist. Yep. And and I mop it up and it uh about a week later it comes back. But there's no yeah. water pipes in the area, so there's no uh leak or anything, but I was kinda of wondering what, what is causing that. That is effervescence. It kinda of comes up looking a little bit like cotton candy. And basically, it's a chemical reaction in the concrete. Uh, so moisture is coming up from underneath, and it's just the moisture in the soil because we've had so much rain the last couple years that the soils are very wet. And as that moisture comes up into the concrete, because concrete is porous, it, there are certain chemicals reactions sometimes with the rock and, and the uh, Portland powders and different things like that that forms it and it comes up out of the concrete you're not seeing it in the living space of the house because the air conditioner keeps it dehumidified and so (laughs) it it doesn't allow it to come up in there however in really severe cases it will even come up in living spaces with air conditioners going but uh yeah it's just one of those things that you they do make some sealers that you can put on like uh there's two companies I know of that make it. Quickcrete makes one, you know, like the, the company that makes the sackcrete concrete. Yeah, like a sealant. Uh, yeah, it's it's a product that you can put over the top, and it soaks down into the uh, concrete and helps keep it from coming back up through there. And there's another company called Deitch Coatings, D-A-I-C-H, coatings.com. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's one that you would order online, but both companies have good products that uh, help with this. Oh, okay, so it's really nothing to be alarmed about then. I just no. keep sweeping it up and uh, yeah, all righty. Yep. Okay, well, thank you very much. You bet. You take care, Jim. Okay, bye bye. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to thipro.com. 